Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word tonight and turn, if you will, to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18, as we look at God's message to us, as we uh, think a little bit about the team effort that God has called us to be about. Acts chapter 18, we've continued to follow the ministry of, of God as He worked through His disciples, as He simply extended His good news throughout the world. It is an amazing story. It is an amazing effort. I was thinking about it this week again, as there we were in Nicaragua, and thinking to ourselves how the gospel left Jerusalem, how it went into Samaria, and how it literally did go into the uttermost parts of the world. It went uh, all the way across the ocean eventually to a little place called Ruston, Louisiana, and it has made a difference here. And it has made a difference south of here in a, in a country called Nicaragua. And all over the world, we see God's Word that's going forth. And it is an amazing movement of God. It is an amazing story that God was able to take that message and to uh, put it in so many different places so that you and I could have the salvation that we do today. It's an amazing story empowered by the Holy Spirit. And it took many people to do that. It took many people. Sometimes we think of Paul and we think of Peter and we think of some of those uh, early leaders of the church and how incredible they were and how God used them. But I want you to know it took a whole lot of effort. It took a whole lot of people to be able to fulfill the mission that God had called them to. I want you to see it in Acts chapter 18 tonight. It says in verse 18, so Paul still remained a good while. He's there in Corinth, that is, and he's still there, it says. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off in Sincrea, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a, a longer time with them, he, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. And he had spent some time there. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. I want you to see tonight this idea of it takes a team. It takes a team and it takes a team effort to be able to get the gospel forth, to, to be able to make the message of God known among the nation. It, it takes a lot of different people. The scripture says here that the apostle Paul is going about the business. And I mean, Paul is, well, he is the greatest missionary we know outside of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, Paul is going forth. He's in Corinth. He's in Greece. And he has declared the message to the most populous city in Greece at that time. And he stays there about 18 months or so. And then it says he begins to move on. And this time when he moves on from Corinth, he takes two people with him, these, this dynamic duo of Priscilla and Aquila. He takes them with him in order, to, uh, in order to magnify the team, in order to magnify the gospel. And it says that he goes to this place called Ephesus. He preaches and he teaches and he has these other folks there. You know, as I look through this, this passage and as I think of 
the mission and the work of God, I see how God uses all these other individuals to come alongside Paul and to complement not only his ministry, but to be able to further the kingdom of God. I was talking about this this week, and I see some of uh, our Nicaragua team here. I gave a little devotion. Was that Thursday morning? All the mornings kind of run together for me now this week. But I think it was Thursday morning. I gave a little devotion on this passage, told them that they'd get the full message tonight and to come back. I see some of them have. Dr. Mack, it's good to see you here tonight. I didn't think you would, to be honest with me. I, I figured you'd be a- eating ice cream somewhere. You didn't bring some with you, did you? Did you? You ain't got any ice cream with you tonight for everybody? Okay, you can take us to Eskimos afterwards. Anyway, he's an ice cream eating man, even during the devotions and sermons sometimes he was. But as I was sharing this week with our team, it takes all kind of different people to be able to get the gospel forth. And Paul, I mean, he is the greatest, like I said, that we can think of outside of Jesus Christ. He's gone above and beyond. And, and yet he's not just a one man show. Wherever he goes, he invites people to join him, whether it's a Timothy or a Silas or whether it's a Priscilla and Aquila. He invites individuals to join him in the work. And it says that they go to Ephesus and obviously they're teaching and they're ministering as well. They're talking about the gospel. They're talking about the things that God had done. These individuals, as we talked about last week, they had come from Rome. They had been expelled from Rome by the emperor. And yet God somehow had taken their expulsion. He had taken the persecution that had come against the church. And he had multiplied the missionary effort. And here they are, part of the team. Later on, you'll see God include this other man named Apollos. In verse 24, it says, A certain Jew named Apollos, born in Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. Later on, it'll talk about how you have Apollos, who is this polished preacher, who is this eloquent speaker, who will come as well, and he'll follow up there in Ephesus. God is using these different individuals to make a difference for the kingdom. It's not just about Paul. It's about God building a team of individuals that will share the good news. I say to you that we still need a team of individuals to share the good news. You know, I have great and wonderful respect for a man like Billy Graham. Don't you? I mean, I have tremendous respect for for a noted evangelist like Billy Graham. And he has done so much for the kingdom of God. There is no doubt about that. But even I think Billy Graham would admit that the crusades, that the evangelistic efforts, that the things that occurred for the gospel ministry, that did not occur simply because of one man. It occurred as God worked not only through the one man, but many men and women who were connected with that team to see the gospel go forth. I say to you that we need people. And we need people that are different. We need people who have different gifts so that we can somehow take the gospel forth into our community and into the nations. I thought about it this week as I looked around 
the team, for example, that we had assembled. And that's just exemplary of the teams that we often uh, assemble to go on mission trips. I thought this week, as you looked around at the different people, I mean, there were folks with different personalities, folks who were personalities. Uh, there were people with certain gifts, and there were people that had other gifts sitting all around that circle this week as I looked. And yet, you would have to know, some of you have been to Nicaragua, and you know what a process it is, for example, to do a medical clinic and how you have to have everything in place and all, not only the medical team, but you've got to have the folks who are speaking and preaching. You've got to have the people that are helping get logistics taken care of. You've got to have people that are passing out different things and just sometimes moving people from one end to the other. It takes a lot of people on a short-term mission team like we had this week, a lot of different people. And that's just one phase of the ministry. It takes a lot of people. It takes a lot of Priscilla's and Aquila's. It takes a lot of people like Apollos who will stand in the gap. Because Paul's not always there. And Paul never intended to always be there. He intended for leadership to grow up in these different areas. He intended for people to come along and be discipled. He intended for them to go and make disciples. That was his plan. And that's what you see throughout the book of Acts. I mean, right here in this passage is Dr. Luke is writing about Paul's movement from here and there. And as he includes these other people, Dr. Luke is reminding us that this gospel movement is a team effort. Everybody needs to be involved. And let me just say this. For us as Temple Baptist Church, those of us who are believers here in this place, our effort should be a team effort. Everybody should be about making known the name of Christ. This is not just something that the pastor can do in the community. It's not just something that ministers should do in the community. It should be every believer who has been changed by the Word of God, who has experienced the Holy Spirit of God, every individual should be a part of that team of making the name of Christ known. So that means you me. God wants to use all of us in our different gifts, with our different backgrounds, with our different context to make a difference for the kingdom. This is what we see as Dr. Luke is writing. It says that not only were those people, people like um, Priscilla and Aquila and Apollos, part of the gospel uh, movement, but they were a part of helping each other become disciples or, or maybe in the discipleship movement as well. God working in each one's life to understand the truth and to embrace the truth and to grow in the truth. Later on, it'll talk about how Apollos, for example, great guy. He, he loved the Lord. He was following the Lord, but there were a few things he was still, well, he was still growing in. It says that he knew only the baptism of John. We'll talk about that more next week as we look at chapter 19. But I want you to see that it says in verse 26, So when he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, uh, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the 
brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So not only were they taking the message of Christ, they were refining one another on this team. And they were growing in their discipleship. Apollos, he had, well, he had some deficient views when it came to baptism and the baptism of John in particular. And it says that Priscilla and Aquila, who had been discipled by Paul, they come and they say, hey, um, when you get, I hate to tell you this because some of you will try to use it on me maybe and maybe I need it or something. But when you get through with that sermon, Apollos, would you come over here because I got to talk to you about things. Apollos comes over and they said, we got to talk to you about this, about this baptism of John. And they helped him. But don't you love their approach? The way they called him aside, the scripture says. They didn't like get up in the church and say, hey, hold on just a minute. We got a problem here. This pre- you, you, you got some wrong thoughts about this. You're, you need to check your theology and check your... Aren't you proud that they just kind of... The picture is they just kind of brought him to the side and said, hey, I know, I know you're fervent. I know, know you're passionate about this. Let me give you, let us give you some of this truth about what the baptism of John represented and about what the work of Christ is as well. You got to love that. And yet, here again, somehow he received that in the right spirit. From what we see and what we understand, somehow he received that in the right spirit. Because he knew it wasn't all about him. He knew that he was wanting to grow in the Lord and he was humble and he was teachable. And even if others helped him, helped him get there, he was willing to listen. It's great for us to embrace that humility and that teachable spirit as well. It's good for us to know that we have friends who can help us grow in Christ. It's good that we've got people that can help us study the Scripture and see what God has to say and help us clarify the biblical principles and the biblical views. It's wonderful to have people like that. A team that not only takes the gospel, but a team that helps to disciple one another. And that's the way we should find our experiences in the church. To have brothers and sisters that can sharpen one another. Brothers and sisters that can encourage one another. And sometimes, yes, sometimes, call somebody aside and say, let's talk about this. Let's talk about what the scripture says about this issue and to work through it. It's a wonderful, a wonderful context of being able to grow in the Lord. Later on, um, Paul will speak to the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthian church that really is going through all kinds of division. And they're all claiming allegiances to different people and devotions to different people. Some of them would say, hey, I'm of Paul. Some would say, hey, I'm of Apollos. Oh, the most spiritual ones would say, no, we're not of anybody. We're of Christ. But somehow all of them were dividing themselves out, Paul said. And Paul gave this picture He gave this picture of teamwork to the Corinthians when he spoke about how some have planted and some have watered, 
And it has been God who has given the increase. There are those who plant. There are those who water. God is the one who gives the increase. You know, you and I have probably been there a time or two. Um, I remember when I was in Picayune at Pine Grove Church, and I was out there, things were going well. I mean, it was it was booming. Um, we were having people who were coming and being saved, and, and uh, the church was growing. We were having revival. I mean, it, it was an awesome experience. I'll be honest with you. It was one of the best uh, movements of God that I had ever seen manifest before my eyes. It, it was... It was tremendous. And then, as I was talking this morning, God just all of a sudden, well, he began to impress upon me something was going on. I didn't know what it was. Leslie and I were praying about it. We thought, you know, God's just calling us to go deeper in our studies and deeper in our relationship with him. Perhaps that's what God was doing. Well, the next thing I knew, I was being approached by a church. Well, actually, it went something like this. I walked into my professor, Dr. Reggie Oje's office one day, who I was grading for, and Dr. Oje said to me, Reggie, there's a church that I'd like to send your resume to. I said, it's wonderful, Dr. Oje, not interested. Don't want a resume, don't do those kinds of things. Nope, good where I am. Love it, hunting almost ever. No, I didn't say that. God's moving, things are going on. I, I just... I love it. Nope, not not going to. About a about a month later, about a month later, I go back into his office because I'm grading for him and stuff. And he says, "Hey, Reggie, I, I, you know, I didn't get that resume from you. I'd love to get that resume. Um, I'd love to get that resume from you." And I said, "Doctor OJ, you know, I I told you I'm really not interested, and I, I don't really want to bring that resume in." And and he said, "That's awesome. That's great. But Reggie, uh, do you remember?" who the professor is in this professor-student relationship. Do you, do you remember that? And I said, absolutely, Dr. OJ, and I love you, and I respect your authority, and you'll have that resume next week when I come back down here, I promise you. Got the resume. Never asked him which church it was because I really didn't want to know. I didn't, wasn't interested, didn't want to go anywhere. So didn't even ask until I got a little something in the mail that wanted me to think about filling out a survey. And then, of course, things just went on and progressed, and uh, God called me uh, there to Zachary. I knew what God was wanting me to do, but, oh, there were so many other things I wanted to do. There were so many other things that I wanted to do at Pine Grove. I mean, it was booming. It was going. I was like, I want to be the one to build that sanctuary right out there across the street. I wanted to be the one to start this ministry and that ministry. I wanted to be the one that started. I, I mean, I had it all kind of planned, and I was like, I'm setting up shop right here. I mean, this is the place to be, and this is where I want to be for the rest of my life. And God said, you can't. This is what you have to do. And it was as real for us as an audible voice for heaven, from heaven. And I have described to people before that it felt like a violent rip from that place. And then the next pastor came in. And I recognized, I recognized this principle of watering, of planting, of watering, and of harvesting. 
You see, I wanted to do some things. But God had called me to do what he had called me to do for this season. He had somebody else to do something a whole lot better. The next pastor came in, the church start, just continued. I was a little bit bitter about it to start with. <clears throat> I was. I said, God, why didn't you let me do some of these things? Why couldn't I have seen that? And God had to deal with me that it's not about one person. It's not about one pastor. It's not about, but it's about the team. It's about the individuals that's been called to follow God and to share the message of Christ. And there are some people that are called for a season to plant. And there are some who are called to water. And I sure wish we had a lot more water, God. (laughs) And there's some that God grants the harvest to. Some can be like a David. Others are like the Solomon. Some have the vision. Some are allowed to implement the vision. But I want you to see that as you work through this passage, you've got people. A Paul and a Priscilla and an Aquila and an Apollos. They're all working for the kingdom and God is blessing them in their own way. And the church at Corinth will see that. The church at Corinth in particular as they benefit from the ministry of Paul and the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila and well as they benefit from the ministry of Apollos. They will see God working in some different ways. It, it takes a team effort. Well... Not only the team that was right there with them, but even the team that was there in the trenches praying and supporting and ministering in their own way. You see, the scripture says that something had come across Paul to to go back to Jerusalem to celebrate a feast. And um, he made a vow. Seems to be like a Nazarite vow from Numbers chapter 6. A vow. Before God, you remember usually the Nazarite vow when you when you entered into it. Basically, you would not cut your hair and you would not drink of wine or anything of the such, and that would be your initial vow. But as you continue to read through Numbers chapter six, you'll see that there's a time of completion, a time where that separation has been realized, and at that point, you would shave your head and you would take the hair and you would you could literally offer it as a sacrifice. So Paul decides he's going down to Jerusalem. And it says that he comes to Ephesus. He preaches a little bit. And then he leaves uh, to return one day to a very fruitful ministry in Ephesus, by the way. And it says that he continued on. Verse 22, he went to Caesarea and then he had gone up and greeted the church. Most people believe this is where he actually went to Jerusalem that he actually went to Jerusalem to see the church. And that there in Jerusalem, perhaps that's where he made the sacrifice, that's the place where he celebrated the feast, he recognized those who were about the work there in Jerusalem. And then it says he went down to Antioch. Oh, Antioch. Remember the church that was there? I mean, it... That church at Antioch had made news 
through Baptist Press for many, many years already. I mean, it was a church that was happening and growing. It was the church where he had originated from, he and Barnabas. It was the church that had sent them out, and now he's back at Antioch. You see this in Paul's life. Many times he would come back to Antioch, his family, his home church, the people that sent him out, the people that had committed to pray for him, the people who had committed to support him in their own way. He's back at Antioch. Antioch was a great church. I have called it in the past a first-class church, demonstrating all the characteristics of what a biblical church ought to look like. And there he is at Antioch. Now, I don't know if he was there simply to find encouragement or strength or exactly what, but I bet he received both. Let's see, in a couple weeks, uh, on a Monday, I'm supposed to go up to a little place called Blue Mountain College. You've never heard of it before, I'm sure. Blue Mountain College, small little school, but a place where I've always felt God's presence and empowerment. Even when I walk upon the campus, there's something about it. Where I had friends that I prayed with, friends that I met in the student union with, and we studied and we discussed and we argued. The place where we shared our ministry experience. Most of us were in the ministry. All the men at that point were. We shared our experiences. I walk across that campus. I'm to speak there in chapel that morning and to help with a pastor's conference that afternoon and then to preach in Tennessee that night. And I'm looking forward to it because it's like a home going when I go there. I have a home church. I have a place where I was raised. I have a place that I found salvation. And a lot of the people, well, to be frank, a lot of the people aren't there anymore. Many of them who brought me up, well, many of them God's already called home. The little sucker man that always met me outside and gave me one of those dum-dums that drove the custodians crazy. The big red man, you, you know what I'm talking about, the big red gum. The people who taught me, the people who were there in RAs, the people who were there in Bible school. That area, that place, when I go back, it, there is this kinship that I still feel. Think about Paul. Paul was saved on the road to Damascus. He came down to the church at Jerusalem, and just to be honest, they didn't want him. They were scared. When he walked the aisle that day, as he came just as he was, they didn't want to receive him just as he was. And he had to go back around Tarsus until Barnabas brought him to Antioch. It was at Antioch they received him. <laughs> it was at Antioch that he had taught. It was at Antioch. And now he's back at Antioch. He's back at Antioch, the place 
where they had helped him grow in the place that had continued to support him. I say to you, it takes a team. Not only the team that's out there, but the team that's behind, praying and supporting. You know, this week, for example, when we're going a short term, I felt like the people at Temple were praying, the family. We have missionaries there, Joseph and Susan McWhorter. And I hope and I pray that we lift them up as they are there, as they're going about ministry. Because God empowers us and puts us in the place where we can work with them. You realize we're working with them, not just through the short-term team, not just financially, but we are working with them in mission and ministry as we pray to God, as we seek Him, as we join in a partnership with them. It takes a team effort. It takes a team effort, whether you're part of that personal team, like Priscilla and Aquila and Paulus and Paul, or whether you're back at Antioch and you're being faithful to the ministry that God has given you right there in that context. It's a team effort. We need to be reminded. And I pray we need to be challenged to be a part of that team and to make sure that we are fulfilling our part, that we are fulfilling our ministry, that we're fulfilling our mission right where God has placed us in every way possible. I pray that tonight you'd be a part of the team and you'd see what God can do. Let's pray together. Father, we come and we praise your name. Father, we're so grateful that you've allowed us to partner with you. Lord, you've allowed us to be a part of this community of faith, that you've allowed us to be a part of a community that makes your name known. And God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters who are here tonight. I thank you for my brothers and sisters who have gone forth from this church, people who are serving, whether it's in Central Asia or Nicaragua, Lord, Chicago, or wherever it would be. God, I lift them up to you tonight. And God, I pray that we would be faithful right where we are. Lord, that we'd realize it's not all about us individually, but it's about your kingdom. It's about you drawing us together to advance the good news of salvation and forgiveness. God, continue to use us. Continue to empower us. God, continue to move among us so that we might know you, we might serve you, and we might declare you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we have this moment of reflection and invitation? Maybe tonight you need to come. You come as God calls you as you pray and reflect together.